So, so we are in the midst of a, uh, a series called New Year's Solutions. New Year's Solutions. And the idea behind this series is we take a few of the most commonly uh, considered New Year's resolutions that people make, and we look at them through a Christian lens and ask, what are, the, what are the biblical solutions that God is giving us for the problems within our hearts? What is the deep problem in our heart? Because all of the time with these resolutions we make, they reflect something going on in our heart. And I, I went to my, our new life group, brand new life group started up last Monday. Very exciting. And uh, we were talking about the message, or more specifically, we were talking about something that happened in the message, which is that I didn't say something that I often say, which is this, you may be offended when I preach. You may be offended. It's not intended to offend. It's not aimed pointing fingers at anybody. But sometimes I think when that happens, the Spirit of God is convicting us about what's going on in our own hearts. So if you're offended, please don't leave. Please keep listening. Maybe that God's doing something in your heart. But hopefully I don't offend you, right? My aim isn't to offend you. Okay, so last week I talked about the, by far the most common resolution we make, which is this combination resolution to be healthier, get fitter, eat better, stop smoking, all of that. Be healthier. By far everyone's most common New Year's resolution, which means it's by far the most commonly broken New Year's resolution as well. Uh, this week I want to talk about one that is not as common, but is still in the top five, and that's this, I want to get in a new relationship. This year is my year, new year, new me, new girlfriend. That's, you know, I mean, not me, honey. I mean, this is just, whew, it's got awkward quickly. We're going to talk about the desire to get in a new relationship and, and what that means and what's behind that. So I want to start by, by telling you about the loneliest I've ever been, Okay. A couple of times where I've been exceptionally lonely. Now, often I'm joking in these stories. Like These are probably not jokes, okay? So don't, don't laugh at my loneliness. Thank you. Well done. Okay, yeah, see, you're still doing it. Good. Okay, two times when I've been as lonely as I've ever been. When I went to high school for the first time, I went to Pembroke School. I'll let you bask in that for a moment. And then, and then I, uh, but I went not knowing a soul. I didn't know one person in my year level. I knew one kid the year above. But who knows that if you're in year nine, the last thing you want to do is hang out with a year eight on their first day. So it was like, hi on the bus, see you later, let's never speak again. And uh, so it was just me by myself in year eight, and I was terrified. And I remember going home that first day just sobbing to my parents and going, I hate that school, it's terrible. It was a great school, actually. I just hated being alone. And I remember the other time I felt lonely was very, very different. And that is when I moved to Japan. I lived in Japan for about nine months. And it was great. I wouldn't change it for the world. But the first day I got over there, you know, you're just traveling on the plane for ages. Then you get on the train and I'm traveling cross country on the train. And I was just sort of tired and flustered. All the signs are in Japanese. It's just different. And you suddenly, it's starting to sink in. Hang on. I'm not just visiting on holiday. I'm living here. This is, this is going to be where I'm living, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I distinctly remember I went to, to get a drink on the train, and I was like, oh, you know, I just want a soft drink, but oh, I don't want to just regular Coke. Maybe I'll just get something a bit different. What's this green soft drink? And so I press it and start drinking it, and it's not a soft drink. It's ice-cold green tea, which I've never drunk before in my life. Now, I quite like a hot green tea now after a year in Japan. But on a day on the train, the first time I was on there, and I remember as well getting to the final station in Weida, which is where I lived, and sort of stumbling off with my suitcase and looking around and asking a question of the station master, confused. And then I look up and there's this young lady there sort of smiling at me, and she was sent to, to meet me and bring me because they know 
the company I work for know that when you turn up, you're lonely, you're confused, you don't know what's going on. There is a search for connection at the heart of each and every one of us. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. What's at the heart of that connection? And what do we do about it here at Encounter in particular? So, when I said to a friend of mine, and I think it was somebody here, I can't remember, no offence if it was you. Um, when I said to a friend of mine that I was doing this particular New Year's resolution they, to, about getting in a new relationship, they said, ah, oh, that's pretty creepy. I said, well, oh, what do you mean? And they went, well, you know, a relationship's kind of a two-person thing. So if your resolution is to say, I'm getting in a new relationship this year, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to make someone's opinion of me change until they love me. It's like, oh, that's a bit dark, actually, isn't it? But they've got a point. They've got a point. What I want to do is assume that everyone here at Encounter Church and everyone listening on the podcast at home is emotionally intelligent and secure enough that that's not what they mean when they say you're going to get in a new relationship in 2019. And so we're just going to talk about relationships in general because we're not, we're not feeling that way, are we, Encounter Church? Are we? I'm trying to help you here. Are we? No, no, that's not what we're talking about, obviously. Obviously, people frantically deleting Tinder from their phones. Okay, <laughs> let's get into it. In the beginning, in the beginning, God. God creates the heavens and the earth, and he does it in community. In Genesis 1.1, God the creator rubs his hands together and gets going. In Genesis 1.2, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is hovering over the waters. And in Genesis 1.3, God speaks, and the Word of God comes forth. Jesus, present with them in the beginning, comes forth and speaks and creates the entirety of the community of God, the Holy Trinity, together in the beginning, in creation, God in community. So from the beginning of our entire story, our entire understanding of what God does with us, it happens in community. And so God gets to his creation and he begins to weave together the extraordinary beauty as planned and he pulls it all together and the stars are strewn across the sky and the earth is created and the seas are parted and then the plant life and everything else comes together and then he creates man as the pinnacle of creation and he looks at it and says, I can do better and creates woman. And so in Genesis 2.18, we get this wonderful, this eye-opening statement from God who says this, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll attest to that. I lived by myself in Japan for a while. The bathroom didn't get cleaned a whole lot at all, at all. I just, look, I figured if I wiped it, it was clean, right? What's disinfectant anyway? It is not good for man to be alone. But you've got to bear in mind that the man in question is in the Garden of Eden. He's in paradise. He's surrounded by lush, flourishing garden. He's surrounded by animal life. He's got God with him. He's not alone. But what the man lacked was companionship that had the image of God. Lacked that image of God with him. And so woman is created and God is pleased. And this time it's Adam who says that it is very good. <laughs> but the point, they were naked too, remember, just saying. But the point wasn't what was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
The point wasn't what was created. The point was that there was a need for community. It's too simple to say that this is just about sexual attraction. There's a sense here that at the heart of us all, there is a craving for community. We know that, a craving for connection. This is what I talked about with my stories, my feelings of loneliness. I wasn't alone in those times. There's another great story, and I'll I'll tell you more another time, when I hitchhiked up Mount Fuji in the middle of the night by myself. I was less alone then, even though I was by myself in the middle of the night, surrounded by suicide cults, honestly, like... Another story, another time. But I was less alone that time than I was at the time when I sensed I didn't have community. And we see this design for community repeatedly in Scripture. So we've seen it in Adam and Eve. Let's go to Abraham and Sarah. See, Sarah has this flourishing marriage, but what she wants more than anything is a child. She craves a child. There's a sense that something is lacking because it is not good for us to be alone. And then we get to some of their children, and we get to Leah, who's the first wife of their grandchild, Jacob. And Leah has children, but does not have a flourishing marriage. She has a husband who has a second wife, and his eyes are all for the second wife. What, he want, what she wants more than anything is a husband who affirms her, who loves her. He, she is lacking something because it is not good for us to be alone. Then we get to Moses. Now Moses is a leader called to speak to his people. But in his heart, Moses is terrified. And he begs his brother Aaron to come along and speak for him. He says, I'm not good enough. I don't have this. Because it's not good for us to be alone. And then there's David, King David, under immense pressure, but an amazing leader. And he discovers this friendship with a man called Jonathan. And the two of them are closer than brothers. And they build each other up and encourage each other on because it is not good for us to be alone. So we have all these biblical examples. And here at Encounter, we believe we're better together. We are better together. And we have this sense that we want to gather around community. And one of our core values is about being about people, which is a bit generic, but it's not quite that simple. It's actually about relationships with people. It's not just about the idea of people. It's about specifically relationships with people. That's at the core of everything. Now, if we believe this to be true, that my relationship with others and your relationship with each other matters more than anything else in 2019, we'd better give you some wisdom as to how that, to live that out, specifically through this lens of I'm a follower of Jesus, how am I going to live out being in great relationship with other people? So I want to do that tonight. I want to give you five ways to develop healthy relationships with other people while growing your faith at the same time. But to do that, I'm going to need a volunteer from the audience. Do I have a volunteer? Anybody? 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 Oh, I see that hand. She, she was just before you. I'll use you in a second. Ladies and gentlemen, Jess Couch, can you give a big thank you? Born for the stage. See, up, see you up here hosting in a few weeks' time. It's going to be great. Uh, my assistant, Jenny, would you be able to get a chair for me and just sit it just here? Would you sit on this chair for me, please, Jess? Okay. Here's what I need you to do. Behind you on the ground, you'll see a bit of rope. Can you pick that up and just pop it over your neck? <laughs> just, just over the back of your shoulders. Okay. Now, you see, I don't have anything on my sleeves. There is nothing upon me. There's nothing. No, no, I'm not doing a magic trick. Okay. <laughs> now, here's the thing. What we want at Encounter is to connect you in. But it has to start with you. There's a reason I didn't put the rope over Jess's neck. One is I don't want to get sued. But two is because when it comes to connection, 
it's, it's your job. It's what you want at your heart. We're going to offer it to you, but it's up to you. So we've got five ways I want to connect. Now, to start with, what I'm going to do, Jess, yeah. where, let me find the end of this rope. It's there somewhere. Look, can you just hold on to that for a second? Okay. The, the first thing I want you to do, I want you to throw it to Pastor Jen over there. Your dear friend, Jenny. You got it, hun. Now, you do need to find the end of that. We'll need that in a minute. Because the first thing I want to talk about, the first connection is just coming to church. Coming to church. It's like the most generic pastory thing you've ever heard, but it is so out of fashion. Now, it's fine. If you're here for the first time and you're not a Christian and you're like, yeah, of course it's out of fashion for me. Yes, no worries. My problem is it's out of fashion for Christians. That's a different kind of problem. If you're a follower of Jesus here, I don't think, well, maybe you do understand because we've got a pretty devoted group of people here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that you plug into your church community. I call it the spiritual discipline of church attendance, right? Spiritual disciplines are things we do to grow our spirit. We discipline ourselves like when we run, you know, we're disciplining our body. But when we come to church, we are disciplining our spirit. Here's the thing. When we, when we come to church, you are beginning to be healthier. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25, we hear the author commending us, says, do not give up the habit of meeting together, as some are doing, but go on encouraging one another in the faith. Keep on encouraging one another, because when you come to church, you should be encouraged. You should leave equipped, encouraged, and inspired. That's one of the things we want to do from the platform when you come to church. But it's more than that, too. Just to take you behind the curtain a little bit, we count your attendance at church. Like we have a database and we don't just count the number of people because that's kind of irrelevant. We count who is here individually. The reason is we count people because people count. And when we count you, that means that we know because we have this automated database that does Elvanto that does rostering and it does attendance and it does emailing, it does a whole bunch of stuff. The reason we record who is here is so we know how connected you are into this community. It's not to big note ourselves like, oh, we got 51 people here today. We're not big enough to be impressed over how big our size is, right? Like, oh, we had 47 today. We only had 46 last week. It's like a 3% increase. I don't know, maths. But <laughs> it's not about that. It's about knowing who is plugged in. Because a lot of the time, what I find as a pastor is people want to be plugged in more than they realize. But do you know what we have to do? If you're a part of this community already, we have to invite them to be plugged in. I have, I won't embarrass them by saying who it is, but there's someone here that I literally chased down the hall once to invite back into community. They came to church and I saw them leaving. I'm like, I'm running and I'm chasing that person. And I had coffee with them and now they come and it's great because they wanted to be connected into community. But there's a nerve nervousness there. There's a sense of like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. What am I meant to be doing here? This is, this is new for me. I don't know enough people here. Uh, mate, let's just slip out the back door. And chances are, while I've been preaching, somebody here has been thinking that already, but I just want to invite you to stay. Hang out. Have a coffee with us. And if you're listening on the podcast, because I know that's something a few people do, and, and you're not attending your home church regularly, can I encourage you to do that? I don't know why. I'm looking up to the sky as I say this. I don't know why. Hey, our vertical podcast listeners. But if you're not attending your home church regularly, do it. 
But if you are disconnected from a church and you're just pretending to be connected, well, come here. You can find a home here. But either way, find a place where you need to be planted and stay there. Stick it out. Because God is calling us to be planted in one place. My challenge to everyone here is to be more connected in 2019 than you were in 2018 here to this church. Only you know what, what that looks like. Some of you were interns in 2018 and you're like, I was extremely connected. That's, that's fine. That's fine. But your challenge is to think about how do you live out that connection in a way that invites others? That's what it's about. Church, my friends, has a unique dynamic because when you gather as the church, when we gather as a larger group, we gather across genders, we gather across ages, we gather across occupations, we gather across incomes, we gather across a whole range of diversities and come together and sit next to it and interact with others we might not normally interact with. The body of Christ is at its best when it's at its most diverse. That's what we're called to do when we come together in church. You can't hide as much just off with a group of people like you. Their aim is to have this as diverse as possible because God's aim is that at the end of creation, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you're weirded out by the people doing that to your left or right, that's your problem, not theirs. Okay. So how are we going to be more plugged in at church? So that's number one. The second one, you grab your second lot of rope, Jess. Who have we got? Who's nearby? Let's go... Text. You throw it to text. Text. You can. You can be actually throw it. Throw it behind him to Jared. Not that we don't love you, but let's get. Let's get a bit messy. It's be, oh, it's great. We still love you, buddy. Because the second one. <laughs> hold on to the rope, champ. Hold on to the rope. The second thing we want you to do is to join a life group. Join a life group. Now, Jared's one of our life group leaders. So. Why do we call these things? Why do we call these things life groups? Because we do life together in them. I know it's super cliched. Deal with it. It's cliched for a reason because it's what we need to do. Bible studies are great. If you are a Christian, you've been part of a Bible study. If you're not a Christian, you're like, are they really? <laughs> but if you're a Christian, you've been part of a Bible study, and that is fantastic. And I encourage it. We need to grow in our understanding of the Word. We are people of the Word, but we need to do that in dynamic relationships, to do it in a group setting, to do it in a way where there are people who can love us and challenge us alongside each other and lift us up. Doing life groups is, is, is all about bearing one another's burdens in love. It's about a deep and rich community. It's about breaking bread, sharing a meal. Think of Jesus in the Last Supper, laughing with his disciples and then getting real serious and saying, I'm about to die. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, it's the sharing of both of those things. I'm in a moment of joy. I'm in a moment of sorrow. Bear it with me. That is what a life group's about. It is so important to have big church and small church, a church attendance on a Sunday and a life group during the week held alongside each other because it is super weird for someone to come up here and go, let me just tell you about the deeper sectors of my heart to the 60 people here today. That is, that is not like being real like Christy was talking about. That's called an unwanted group therapy session. That's not what people need. It's one thing for me to tell a story of my past loneliness. It's another for me to use the pulpit to go, I just... Just need you all to hear how lonely I'm feeling today. But that's exactly what my life group's for. Exactly. To gather in that small group where they can not just hear me in a group. like It's too Facebooky, isn't it? From a distance to go, oh, we just affirm your loneliness from a distance. But in life group, we lay on hands and we pray for one another. 
we bring a meal to one another. We say, how can I visit you this week? So you know that you aren't lonely, but you are connected and loved and appreciated. That's what a life group is all about. It is so rich. The third one. Okay, Jen, can you come and bring this back to Jess? Now, you, you, you got one in? Okay. No, no, no. Sorry. Yeah, you've you done it wrong, huh? Yeah, I, I know, I didn't give you any instructions and now I'm blaming you. This is what happens. It's a marriage. Um, put it back around you again, Jess. Let's get you nice and connected, okay, mate? Wind it around a couple of times. Bear in mind again, she's doing this herself, everybody, okay? Wind it around a couple of times. Fantastic, okay. Look, look how connected she's getting. Excellent. Right, now, who's somebody who's on team? This is Taryn. Let's throw it to Taryn. Let's, let's throw the end of the rope to Taryn. Beautiful. Draw it in, Taryn. Gather a bit extra in. I'm just thinking maybe, maybe around your waist is better than around your neck, Jess. But, uh, yep, yep. <laughs> just a thought. Now, we threw it to Taryn because Taryn's somebody who serves on team here in Encounter. And the third way we want to see you connected in is to see you serving on team. Now, this is the bit where if you're feeling a bit cynical, you go, yeah, 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 right. So you've just got more people to fill out your band or whatever. No. We don't care. Like, honestly, we'll happily get up with two people or one people. Like, have you heard, Christy? She can carry this thing by herself. Come on. <laughs> we do want to use your gifts, but only because that's what the body of Christ is for. Yeah. But the reason we want you to serve on team is because when you serve with people, you are better connected. You are engaged with other people. You actually build friendships. And if you can think back to a time where you've gone with a group of relative strangers and you've shared some experience together... You recognise that you can come away with that, from that as friends and you just you haven't really done anything except gone away with them. You might have nothing in common with these people, but you're like, oh, they're my mate. Why? Oh, we just went to the same concert one night and then went out for dinner afterwards and it was unreal. So, oh, it's cool. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how things start, right? We live in a generation that doesn't necessarily want to engage, doesn't want to commit, okay? We buy everything subscription instead of membership now. That's why membership in a church is such a powerful antidote. But what we would ask you to do is consider engaging by serving on team. Because here's what happens when you serve together. It builds ownership. This becomes your church, not just mine and a few other people's. It builds camaraderie. It builds this friendship while you do something. You're serving on the hospo team and somebody drops a cup and somebody else catches it at the last second. Like All the stupid little things that make up life and make it so beautiful. This is what happens when you serve on team with somebody. I love watching our worship team and all the, like, I love watching them worship, but I love watching them before and after and all their stupid little in jokes and, that they have because they're friends. I love watching the hospital team. They do the same thing. The kids' team do the same thing. They connect together. They have friendships that have been built because of their shared experiences. And this is uh, even more important for men, by the way. If you're out there and, and you're looking for a way, you're thinking about how to get your Christian male, or just male friends, they don't have to be Christian, of course, even better if they're not. If you want to get them involved in a church, don't just ask them to be somewhere, ask them to do something physical. Like we, Men like to be doing something. That's, this is just who we are. This is just how we're wired. But maybe most importantly, service is integral to following Jesus because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. This is the nature of following Jesus. It's sacrificial. It is service-oriented. So that's the third thing. Pushing on. The fourth thing. Where's the rest of that rope? Jared, can you bring, bring uh, the end back and hold on to the middle? 
Attaboy. Look how organised he is. All right, Jess, pick someone in the congregation, anyone you like that you think is awesome. Anyone. I know, I know. There's a lot of awesome people. Bear in mind, you probably don't have a lot of rope to work with. (laughs) I think that's probably really wise. You're awesome too. (laughs) The fourth thing is building a spiritual friendship. Building a spiritual friendship. I'm aware, again, of how lame this might sound, but let me just hold with me. There's something significant about building a significant spiritual friendship with somebody, and it's different from a regular friendship. And it's also different from just saying, I'm friends with you and you're a Christian. Okay? Hear me in this. A spiritual friendship is a Proverbs 27:17 iron sharpening iron relationship. It's where we do that things, those things we talk about in life group, but we go deeper. We confess sin to one another and say, can you pray for me in this? Can you encourage me in this more? Can you hold me accountable if I do it again? Because, not because you want to beat up on me, because I want to be more like Jesus. And I want you to hold me up and spur me on and cheer me on towards the finish line. When you build a spiritual friendship, you are asking someone so into my life, Uplift me, encourage me, tell me how I can be more like Jesus and then let me be the same for you. So one of my challenges for you tonight is who is that in your life? Who can speak truth to you and get away with it? Who can do that in your life? That is challenging. Don't take offense. Find somebody who can do that without offending you, okay? Spiritual friendships involve accountability and challenge. So if you've made it this far, you might be starting to ask yourself a simple question. Why are you bothering to do all these things? We feel very, very well connected, okay? Now, we don't have a fifth piece of rope because rope doesn't really work with five ends. Even four was a struggle. But there is a fifth thing. So Jess, just, to, just pick up some of that rope for me. Pick up a handful of whatever rope you've got. Whoa! <laughs> My wife doesn't do anything by halves. If she's going to throw you a rope, it's going to hit you in the face. Jess is holding some rope. And the fifth thing we are going to do with this rope is share the gospel. Evangelism is the fifth point of connection. Evangelism is kind of a dirty word nowadays because we live in this era of tolerance and disconnection where it's like, no, no, you can do whatever you want, man, just over there. Just don't do it around me. And I get that. Like, frankly, if, if I had, you know, a Jehovah's Witness at my door knocking, I wouldn't love it. That does happen, and I don't love it. So I understand. But evangelism is best done in the context of relationships. Think about the context of this message. And the reason it's so important is not because we want to push something on someone, but because when we met Jesus, something happened within us. And it was so transformative and so powerful that we say, I have to share this with someone else. In fact, it's borderline unethical for me not to share this with someone else. I had a light put in me. What am I doing trying to keep it in there and hide it as if it's just going to be contained? People don't like this as much, right? Because it's terrifying. It's terrifying to share your faith. Because if you're the sort of person I'm talking about and Jesus lit a fire in you and it did something significant in you, it is personal. It is intimate. It is real for you. And to just share it with someone else, the risk of getting rejected is painful. But can I tell you, each and every one of us only sits in this room because somebody shared the gospel with you, with your parents, with your youth pastor, with your friends. Somebody shared the gospel with somebody you're connected with and you said yes to Jesus. That's why you're here. 
Or maybe you're here yet and you're still working that out. In which case, can I tell you, we're so glad you're here and that Jesus is just waiting for you to say yes because he said yes to you a long time ago. Ask yourself this. What has changed in your life as a result of the overwhelming, staggering, beautiful love of God in you? Let's go back to these biblical characters I mentioned for a second because there's one key issue. See, Adam, Adam had this craving for companionship and God made him Eve and what a blessing from God that was. But then they came to this problem where Adam decided to rest on Eve's wisdom rather than on God's because God said, don't eat from that tree. And Eve picked an apple and threw it to Adam and Adam's like, well, it's good enough for her, right? What he was doing was actually replacing his relationship with God with his relationship with Eve. Whereas God meant it to be a compliment, he chose it as a replacing. You see, Sarah then longed for a child and God had already promised them a child, but Sarah couldn't wait, wouldn't wait. So she manipulated the situation, causes heartbreak for a whole bunch of people because she assumed that what she needed was not satisfaction from her relationship with God, but satisfaction from having a child. Let's get to Leah. Leah longed for love from her husband and fair enough, right? But again, it wasn't enough just to be loved. She wanted to replace the love of God in her heart with the love of her husband. God wasn't enough for her. So she pushed that aside, demanding satisfaction from that relationship, not realizing for a very long time that you will never be satisfied in a relationship. It will never be enough for you. Another person is not enough for you. Moses, Moses is terrified of leading Israel. So he asked Aaron for help. Sounds great. Let's work together. Except God had said again and again, Moses, I'll be with you. I'll give you the words to say. Oh, no, 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 I can't do it. I'm God and I'm telling you, you can. Maybe listen to the one who's God. And Moses said, oh, no, 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 I need Aaron. And God eventually in anger and frustration said, fine, if it'll get the job done. But again, Moses put his own fear below his relationship with God. He said, I need this relationship more than I need this relationship. David didn't. David's is different. See, the difference with David is he's the man after God's own heart. He befriends Jonathan as a value add to his life. It strengthens his life and adds value to it, not to replace God's presence in it. Jonathan was an addition. Jonathan was a blessing. He was one of many friends David had. He had a group called the Mighty Men who were David's friends and co-warriors and they worked together. David had many, many friends. But David and Jonathan have the image of a godly relationship. They're two people who love and serve each other but never at the expense of their own relationship with God. See, the thing we do, the problem we have in our relationships is that we keep asking God to replace himself in our lives. We keep asking these things that are good. God, I want a spouse. God, I want a child. God, I want a healthy work partnership. God, I want some new friends. We ask these things that are good, but we ask them out of a heart of, I want it so I don't need you anymore. I want it so that I can go above and beyond. And you'll find, you'll be there if I'm drowning at the last minute, I'll cry out. The problem with this is, is it's a Christian problem. I'm talking to the Christians in the congregation here. If you're here and you're a believer and you know this is what you've been doing. You've had a relationship and you've put that above God. You had to ask yourself, if one thing was removed from my life, if it was my my partner, if if it was God, which one would hurt me more? That's the litmus test for our faith. Again, 
These are good desires, but we make them idols. Could I just grab the band back up? That'd be great. I just want to encourage you. No human being will ever totally fulfill you. (laughs) Thanks, Jess. You feeling connected? Super connected. Yeah, it's good. Hey, and I noticed you weren't in the seat this week. No, that's all. I'm not, I'm not making you move the seat. I'm just letting you know I noticed you weren't here. Okay? This is what happens. We notice this stuff because we love you. If you're single here and um, maybe you kind of sort of did have your New Year's resolution as I want to get in a new relationship in 2019, can I just encourage you, until you find peace in who you are with Christ, you'll never find peace in a relationship. won't happen. You can try, but what you'll end up doing is replacing God with your partner, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your spouse. It's a terrible thing because some moment in your relationship, you'll realise they're not God and then you'll feel like they've let you down, but actually you've let them down by putting them as God. It's a terrible, terrible thing. You need to find peace with who you are. You need to know that if you only have God, you are still enough and your life is still fully fulfilled. And if you're in a relationship, you need to wrestle with that. Are you making your partner an idol? Your boyfriend or girlfriend, are you making them an idol? For married couples, it's a bit different because when you're married, you enter into this covenant with God. It's a three-person covenant, the two spouses and God together. And as you come together, come towards God, you, you come closer together and become more intimate and, and you should encourage one another that iron sharpening iron thing again to grow closer to God. That's part of what a marriage is for. But likewise, in a marriage, we need to keep checking ourselves, not about, you know, not loving our spouse. Please love and encourage your spouse. But you have to know that if something happened one day and your spouse was no longer there, you would still be fulfilled. You would be content in Christ. You would grieve, of course. I'm not talking about grief. I'm talking about that inner peace, that inner contentment to know that in any and every situation, God is with me because the fundamental relationship problem we face is we replace our relationship with God with our relationship with other people. Now, you might be stunned to find that um, Jesus did this right. He's the answer in every Sunday school quiz. He gets it all right. And like David, he cultivated friendships. In fact, he had these three particular friends, Peter, James and John. They were the closest of friends. And on Jesus' most interesting and dangerous journeys, he would take them with him to experience it. But then he would come back and he would hang with a larger group, the 12, the disciples, this larger group of friends. And again, they were, they were really tight. But then beyond that, he had this large circle of friends and acquaintances, this wider group of men and women who were also his disciples, who he interacted with. Just like you and I have hundreds of people that we're friends with at different levels. Jesus got this. But unlike David, David, when the chips were down, Jonathan and his friends kept coming through for him. Jesus, when the chips were down, his friends abandoned him. He was in the garden of Gethsemane praying on his own and his friends would fall asleep. The authorities come to arrest him and his friends flee. People question his disciples about whether they know Jesus and then they deny him. And so on the cross, he dies alone. And it's not just as simple as saying he had no friends with him. This is actually a far deeper loneliness than that because Jesus is the only human being in all of creation that died without the presence of God. Jesus was holy thoroughly alone on that cross because in that moment he bore the sin of the whole world 
your brokenness, my brokenness, your struggle, my struggle. We were the joy set before him that he bore on the cross, which is why he cries out, my Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows why. He knows what's happening. But he willingly bears that death for you and I. Because never for a moment did Jesus put his relationship with other people above his relationship with God the Father. So, when we go back and look at the creation story again, Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, 1, 3, you see the Trinity at work in creation. But what you see is, is a little deeper than that. It's not just God living in community. He's living in divine community. That's the difference. God's just not just inviting you to make a friend, okay? It would be a, a pretty pitiful sermon if I was saying, go out and make friends, right? Like, my five-year-old started school last week. That's kind of what I told him. Go out and make friends. Actually, to be honest, I didn't. I told my five-year-old, you have the light of the world in you. I love you. I'm proud of you. And Jesus loves you. So go out there and shine your light for Jesus today. That's what I told my five-year-old. Because saying go and make friends is pitiful. It is not enough. Our children and every single one of you has the light of God inside of them. You have the power to change lives. The question is, what are you going to do about it? I just get a sense right now that maybe some of you have been beating yourself up a bit, believing that you don't have the capacity to do that. God's saying you do. You do. Move past that. You have the capacity to change other people's lives. God uses anyone and everyone to do this. There is a God-shaped hole in our heart. We're designed for a relationship with God. What you need more than anything is not great friendships. It's not a great life group. It's not being at church, much as I think it's a very, very good thing. It's the constant knowledge that God is with you and is here for you and loves you. And that's enough for you. His love is relentless. Relentless. 